when you're a mid-career searcher, you look at these incredible people and you think, oh, I couldn't possibly. But usually they're the people who are most receptive because they've arrived where yeah. they are. They, on the whole, are people who are generous with their knowledge. They want to enable other people. Yes. So I think my number one advice would be email somebody. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yes. They don't answer. That was Professor Maya Krishnasamy. She is the Chair in Cancer Nursing at the University of Melbourne and also the Research and Education Lead in Nursing for the Victorian Comprehensive Cancer Centre. You're listening to Cheers with Peers from the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4, who supports the development of high-quality cancer research in primary care. Welcome to Cheers with Peers. This is a podcast from PC4 that helps mid-career researchers use the stethoscope to find the heartbeat of being a senior researcher. I'm Dr Jennifer McIntosh, a mid-career researcher working on cancer in primary care research and implementation science. Today we're going to talk about a mid-career research path and how you actually transitioned from being a mid-career researcher into a more senior researcher, including being a professor, and how you've built that particular area of research up. Your primary career was in and training was as a nurse, mm-hmm. as a clinician, and then you've managed to move really from that probably sort of more general nursing into a specific sort of cancer nursing career, which you have been developing the evidence base for. How did that come about? So it's a great question, Jenny. And I think, you know, I finished what was traditional training, the three-year training in Cardiff in Wales as a registered nurse and went straight actually into cancer nursing. And the reason for that was I'd lost two of my close friends as a sort of older teenager to cancer. There'd been cancer in our family. And so it was something that I was aware of and fascinated by, I think. And so went into cancer nursing straight away and was incredibly lucky to work with people at the Valinda Cancer Centre in Cardiff, where I became aware of the enormity of the potential of nurses to not just care for people in the immediacy of post-surgery, or, but the critical part that nurses play in making sure that people understand what's happening to them right. so that they can prepare themselves physically, emotionally, socially for what's happening. But also then the ability to build resilience in a to be able to cope with the demands of that treatment and then what does life look like afterwards. So I was very lucky and then had a series of clinical roles in the UK in Oxford and then latterly at the Royal Marsden Hospital in London before coming to Australia. And so the transition from full-time clinical work into research roles happened quite gradually. The more I was nursing, the more I became aware of actually how little I understood and knew. Mm. And so very quickly moved into doing a master's degree. And then by the time I got to the Royal Marsden, had committed to doing a PhD and so had moved from full-time clinical work into part-time clinical, part-time research. And was lucky enough at that time to work with Professor Dame Jessica Connor, who really has been a leading international figure. And she said to me, why don't you do your PhD? To me, look, if you have these questions and you're unsure of some of these answers, there will be you know, a sea of other people around you who yeah. are feeling the same way. Yeah. So if you have the passion, go and do it. But importantly said to me, 
if you're going to do research, do it well. And I think as a nurse, we are our socialization and actually our academic preparation mm-hmm. to be clinician researchers is poor. We don't teach nurses to expect themselves yes. to be research capable. That is a bit of a tension between being a clinician and being a researcher. And certainly one of the things in PC4 we're really interested in is how do you not just marry the two things, but how do you translate research into practice? Can you talk a little bit about that tension? Uh, you know, for nurses, one of the things, and particularly here in Australia, is there is no time built within the EBA, so the funding arrangements for nurses, to have any protected research time. Yes. So when a clinical nurse is in work, she is paid or he is paid 100% to be in that direct interaction with the patient. And so there is no Thursday afternoon or Tuesday morning to say, OK, I'm going to go and review some evidence. I'm going to look at some guidelines. So the other piece that's been an enormous tension is there have been very few clinical nursing research mentors. Somebody that you can go to and say, you know, I've been thinking about this question and I right. don't know where to go with it. And so part of my role as a now as sort of a senior researcher is to create some of those opportunities for mm-hmm. nurses, mm-hmm. find mentors and build the capability in the in the workplace. Because I think until we build a culture where nurses expect themselves to be research active, whether that's, as you say, implementing evidence we already have, or whether it's looking for the considerable amount of new knowledge that we need yes. to drive practice, but yes. in a way that is feasible and has clinical yes. utility. But I think there's a huge tension around the social and the academic expectation of nurses to be researchers. Patients expect us to be nice. They expect (laughs) us to be kind. Yes. But actually, they rarely expect us to be research active and driving new knowledge. And we have to, as nurses, take responsibility for that and change that perspective. And so we have to help the community, by that I mean the consumers, to expect us to talk in the way that they would expect a doctor or a physiotherapist or whoever else to speak to them. We have to demonstrate that we are rigorous scientists delivering care that we understand and can prove is efficacious for people. That's an interesting model to sort of build it into the actual structure of the nursing career and you've obviously had quite a lot of input into encouraging that. Last year we had an investment of a million dollars over three years to build the first ever Australian Cancer Nursing Research Innovation Hub which will be a virtual as well as a face-to-face initiative that will allow nurses from across the seven organisations to begin to network with other nurses who are interested in building research capability. So the hub will be an opportunity to create networks and collaborations for nurses whilst also beginning to allow research mentorship and learning and sharing. Coming back to you, you know, you've had a stellar career. Where do you think the pivot point was where you sort of went from being a clinical person to giving that up and becoming a full-time researcher and really taking that step? I think it's it's interesting because I've not had that traditional research career. I've found it you know, incredibly painful, actually, to move away from the <laughs> clinical interaction. And yes. and I think as a nurse, it was particularly challenging around my identity. If I'm not delivering care to a person in front of me, yes. what on earth am I? And I think over time, and hopefully with a bit of maturity, it was about thinking, well, at some stage, 
you will have to move away from the clinical interaction, whether mm. that's through retiring mm. or whatever it may be. And so what is my responsibility mm. to the next generation of patients to make sure that they have informed, research-able, excellent nurses to look after them? Yeah. And so for me, I think at a philosophical level, if you like, or um, you know, identity level, that's how the philosophical shift happened, was thinking about a responsibility moving forward. But I think that sense of thinking, oh, actually, I might have something to offer, came almost by chance. And it was when actually Sancho Aranda put my name forward for the Robert Tiffany Award with the International Society of Nurses in Cancer Care, which is an international award recognising contribution to cancer nursing and cancer nursing knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I was overwhelmed. I thought, well, what on earth have I done? It was only until I sat back and looked at what Sancho had written and had to reflect on my career before giving the lecture to receive the award that I took stock actually of the things I'd been able to do, the people who'd enabled me to do that. And I think fundamentally the lessons that the patients I'd worked with had taught me about Mm. having to be the best that you can be because Mm. for many people, unfortunately, we know that... You know, this is their one chance Mm. to have good care. Thankfully, we're seeing a change in that. Survival statistics are really impressive, particularly here in Australia. But coming from a Welsh mining community where people had head and neck and lung cancer, outcomes are pretty grim. I think it was at that point that I thought, well, if people like Sancha can see something in me and all of these nurses in the audience who were kind enough to turn up, applaud, listen to the oration, I thought, well, then... You have a responsibility to step up because these people clearly see something in you and are looking to you. To be honest, is what made it possible for me to step forward because I thought, I mean, you're not doing it for you. Yes. You're doing it for other people who, as yet, aren't able to do that for themselves. It's interesting that translation of taking on the nursing from the direct patient care to actually to the bigger mm. picture and the whole profession. I think... In- one perhaps one of the messages for nurses who are thinking about wanting to become researchers and that tension is for me the proximity and essential proximity to practice has stayed through developing research questions that are generated by excellent cancer nurses so they're not an academic flight of fancy for me they're Questions that the nurses or the people in the system and, you know, it's nurse-led research. It has a nursing lens and it's nurse-informed. But the work is developed by what clinicians want and need. But very importantly, most of the projects that my team and I have a fabulous team of people back at the VCCC. There are 16 of them. But a lot of most of the work we do is co-design work. So from the beginning of a research project, we have consumers informing us about the relevance of the question, the design, the kinds of things that they want us to find out and understand so that we can develop research that is better for them. So for nurses who are thinking about, you know, I've done a bit of research, but if I want to become a middle career researcher or move even further forward on, what is the cost of that? And the cost is, yes, you may well have to move away from a full-time clinical research Mm. role, but you can keep your proximity and your relevance to practice by driving research that is relevant to the system. And I think that's something that PC4 very much encourages, you know, research that's co-designed and actually 
driven by clinical experience mm. as well. And I think that's that's really important. Mm. And would you give any advice to when you were a mid-career researcher mm. that you reflect on now? Is I think have the confidence to reach out to people, yes. particularly senior people. And I think when you're a mid-career researcher, you look at these incredible people and you think, oh, I couldn't possibly speak <laughs> with them. But uh, usually they're the people who are most receptive because they've arrived where yeah. they are. They on the whole, are people who are generous with their knowledge. They want to enable other people. So I think my number one advice would be email somebody. What's the worst thing that can happen? They don't answer. Most people will respond well. So have the confidence to believe in yourself. If you think you've got a great question, take it to somebody who can help you, one, think a bit more, but can also put you in touch with a network of other people. And so I think that would be my advice to my former self and being somebody who's actually quite shy by nature you know I didn't do that quickly if I became a professor three years ago into my 50s comfortably yes, you know yes. so I still see myself at the beginning of you know that sort of seniorish sort of piece yes. of time but I think absolutely go and find people find a mentor and then keep your ego in check I think is the other piece of advice I would give is that you know when you want to do research and you need to engage with other clinicians Mm. you have to give first before you take you may end up doing a couple of studies that you're a bit interested in but it's not where you might have gone but if clinicians see that you are true and genuine to want to help them get the answers for the patients that they care for every day. They will work with you, trust you to be somebody who's there, not for your own good, but for the greater good of the system. One question we ask everybody, if you do listen to any podcasts, would you recommend to the listeners? I'm a recent convert to podcasts, Mm. and my very good colleague, Carla Goff, introduced me to This American Life, which is just this fantastic, eclectic mix of day-to-day stories about things that happen to people. So they're funny, they're intriguing, Mm. they're sad, fantastic range. So irrespective of what your interests are, so I'd really recommend that. I think it's great. Thank you so much for coming in. It's Cheers with Piers. So cheers to you, Mai. Thank you. That was Professor Mai Krishnasamy. Thank you for listening to Cheers with Peers, produced by PC4. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au.